Well, good morning again, Sailorville. If you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can find the book of Titus in the New Testament and the second chapter. If you're visiting, you don't have a Bible, no worries. Uh, the Scripture will come up uh, soon enough, all right? Titus chapter 2. As we are talking about adorning the church of God. Do you like pictures? Uh, do you love beautiful pictures? Our very own Steve Woody, a member of this church who uh, has a little project on the side besides protecting us uh, as, a, as an officer uh, in our police force, he is also a tremendous photographer. Look at some of these pictures that he has taken, and, uh, and these are just last year. Those are gorgeous, are they not? Beautiful flowers in all of their arrangement, all their fullness. And uh, I was just thinking about this, and I thought, you know, what if, what if Steve only took pictures of the, of the petals of the flower? You know, now, that, now, a botanist might appreciate this. This is a picture of Steve's. Uh, you know, a scientist, you're getting, I mean, because, you know, there is, there is a beauty in the petal itself, is there not? But how much better the whole? There is a greater beauty in the whole. Would you agree? And this is what we're talking about when we talk about the church of Jesus Christ. There's a greater beauty in the whole. The church is a beautiful thing. It is the adorned, and that's a word used in our text today, bride of Christ, made up of many petals. The petals represent each of us, and the greater beauty is in the whole. Now, there are Literally dozens of ministries represented under this roof. And many of you are a part of those ministries. I mean dozens of ministries at Sailorville Church. And, and in fact, if you ask anyone over a particular ministry to give an overall assessment of Sailorville Church, what do you think they'll make a beeline toward? The one they're doing. <laughs> it, it's inevitable. They always make a beeline to whatever ministry they're serving in. I, and I know it, it's no different with me. I, I'm the lead guy here. I can talk about all those dozens of ministries, but I end up making a beeline to leadership, uh, to preaching, and to evangelism and discipleship. Well, imagine that. But the greater beauty is in the whole. In Titus chapter 2, we're, we're talking about relationships, and virtually all of them are mentioned. There are five categories, and if you throw the children in, you've got six in these first ten verses. In fact, I thought about it, I thought, I, thought, I wonder how many messages John MacArthur preached on this, noted Bible expositor. I, I bet he preached five messages on this. I was wrong. He preached six. He likes the pedals. So do I. But the greater beauty is in the what? in the whole, and we're going to look at the whole flower this morning, beginning in verse 1. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men, there's the first category, first petal, if you please, are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in the love, in the steadfastness, the Greek article is in this, that's, that's really emphasizing those, I'll come back to that. Older women, another pedal, likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves so much to, to too much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, 
working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be, the Greek says, blasphemed. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants or slaves are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering or stealing, but showing all good faith so that in everything, and here's that one of the most beautiful expressions in all the New Testament, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. A couple of years ago, a 20-something-year-old gal was in church, attended a service, came up to me, went on and on about how much she loved it and the message and this and that. And I said, I don't recognize you. Do you, are you, do you come here often? I come here every once in a while. I, I actually go to a church that's, that's, uh, that only has 20-somethings, and, but I, uh, I come here when I want wisdom. I wasn't sure if I should have been insulted or what. But apparently she's duped into thinking that the best church is the youngest church. I would argue that the best church is a church that has all of these categories firing, or should I say flowering, on all cylinders. Because the greater beauty is in the what? It's in the whole. I got to tell you, this is, a, this is nothing new. Just last week, Christianity Day talked about a church in Minnesota just north of us. Now listen to this. The church was getting older and dying, so the younger generation, the leadership of the church, asked all of the elderly people to leave the church for 15 to 18 months so that they could establish a younger church, and after 18 months, they could ask if they could come back. True story. True story. The best church has a makeup of all ages actively serving Jesus Christ. The reason why? Because the greater beauty is in the is in the whole. You'll recognize that just in the reading of the, of the text, I emphasize the word sound. It came up three times. If you were with us last week, the exact same Greek word came up two times in the, uh, in the first chapter, and it's a, it's a word that's only used a handful of times, so clearly the Apostle Paul is driving that word sound home. The word is where we get our English word hygiene. The word means health. It's only used a few other times beyond the pastoral epistles. Luke uses it, Dr. Luke, imagine that, uses the word hygiene three times. And notably, in, in, the, in chapter five, Luke's, uh, G, he quotes Jesus as saying, those who are well, healthy, sound, don't need a doctor, but those who are sick, right? I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners unto repentance. The only other time the word is ever used is in 3 John 2, which is really interesting, where John prays, he says, I pray that you may prosper and be in good health. That's the same word for sound. Sound, health. I pray that you will prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. Now think about that. If I ask God to match your physical health with your spiritual health, would we be carrying some of you out on a gurney right now? Some of you might be going into a casket. Others just not feeling so good. Others doing great. We are talking in this passage about a healthy, flowering church. And a healthy, flowering church exists 
And we're going to look at these petals here. Here's the first, here's the first category, older men who are examples to the church as a whole. They're referred to in those first two verses. Now, by older men, the best we can tell, an older man is anybody north of 50. So if you're north of 50, boom, shakalaka, you're in the category. I mentioned the definite article before the word faith, love, and steadfast. So literally the Greek says the faith, the love, the steadfastness. And the reason I bring that out is whenever uh, the, the New Testament does that, it's, it's exploiting that characteristic, okay? The word steadfast means to, to remain under. Some of your Bible may, Bibles may say, use the word persevere or perseverance. The idea is that if you're an older man, these three characteristics should be constantly on display your faith, your love, and your steadfastness. And I would submit to you that there is very little wisdom in a church that only has young people. You older ones have been there. You have suffered. You have endured. You have hung in there. You have failed and lived to talk about it through repentance. Next to the lessons I've learned on my own, None have impacted me more than hanging out with older men who have impacted my life. There were two older men in my former ministry that were, uh, they were both stalwarts of the faith. But one of them, if you hung around him, he was, a, he was, a, he was Bible saturated, but never would he ever give a confession of anything he ever did wrong in the past. You'd think he was, a, you'd think he was immaculately born. But the other guy, was just as saintly, just as godly, just as stalwart in the faith, but he was not ashamed to talk about his past failures. And I want to, I, I, here's my word to those of you north of 50, and I'm in that category. Nothing speaks to the hearts of younger men than older men who are real, who are humble, who are honest, who are open, who are willing to acknowledge your past sins that God has forgiven you of. If you just talk about how wonderful you are, how wonderful your family is, how many wonderful decisions you've made, how many wonderful kids you have, blah, 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 puke, puke, puke. Nobody wants to hear that. But if you want to hear, and if you want to win, rather, the hearts of, uh, in front of you, if you want to win the hearts in front of you, older guys, then you better own your sins behind you. Because the beauty is in the whole. Now there's older women mentioned here. That's the next one. Who are available as teachers to the young women. Now we know this is a famous passage, books, seminars, all kinds of stuff that have been based off of this passage of Scripture here. Older women teaching younger women. It, it, it says there to be reverent. That's a, we get our word, the, the word temple comes out of this. You're to be holy. Not slanderers. Some of your Bibles say accusers. That, that's the Greek word diablos. You've heard that word before. That's where we get our word devil. Don't be a devil. And if you're an older woman, not slaves to much wine. Why? Because nothing is more pathetic than the sight of a drunk old woman. Amen? Seriously. They are to teach what is good. Teach younger. Now listen carefully. Older women, hear me out. Listen to me. Are you listening? 
older women are never taught to teach older women. I know it's natural. Just hang out with your own, right? Hang out with your own tribe. You're never going to find that in the Bible. Older women teach older women. We're told here, older women teach the younger women. If you want to keep your beauty, because the outer, you know, well, I don't have to tell you what's happening outwardly, amen? But if you want to keep your beauty in old age, then make yourself available to the younger women, and you will radiate to them. That's the call. And then speaking of younger, oh, by the way, because the beauty is what? in the hole. Younger women, south of 50, who are known for their impact in the home. Now, this is where that famous expression, which some of you are just kind of, I can't wait to see what he's going to say about working in the home. I'll get there. Now, remember, this is in the context of older women teaching the younger women, so there's mentioned as a subset, but they're here. They're taught to love their husbands. Younger women have to be taught to love their husbands? Can I get a feminine amen? I'm reminded of Ruth Graham Bell, the uh, Graham Bell, the uh, Ruth Bell Graham, rather, uh, Billy Graham's uh, uh, wife, who said, uh, was asked once if she had ever contemplated divorce. She said, divorce? No. She said, uh, no. Murder? Yes. The word love here is actually not the word agape. It's the word uh, phileo. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, it's, that's where, it's the word phileo. It's a friendly kind of love. So the older women teach the younger women to be friendly to their, toward their husband, affectionate toward their husbands. And it might not have been as natural in the first century. Well, guess what? It's not as natural in this one either. Sometimes. Uh, and to, in the same way, love their children. I, I got to tell you, this happened just the other day. My, so we were at Trader Joe's, my wife and I, and here's this young mom. She's got four kids, and they are absolutely chaotic. And if you've been to Trader Joe's, every counter has a bell, and the bell's about, it's about two and a half feet off the ground, like perfect for a three-year-old. Her three-year-old goes, ring, 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 starts ringing it. I mean, everybody in the whole place comes to that one counter. And the mother is just completely flustered, completely, completely frustrated, and, and my wife walks up to her, puts her hand on her shoulder, and goes, it's okay, it gets better, <laughs> and you can just see the air just come out of her, she goes, oh, I hope so, <laughs> she goes, yeah, it really does, it really does, now here's that expression here, working at home, okay, now, I'm going to have some disclaimers. Here's the first one. I mean, is, this a, is, is, this, is there a cultural thing going on here? Yes, but there's a cultural thing going on here, too, in our own century. Okay, so then and now. And it's true that our culture nearly forces women to work. And here's another disclaimer. The text does not say that a wife and mother, by the way, the younger woman here in the context is a younger woman. It's a woman way south of 50. She's got kids. They're little. They're in the, they're in the home. Uh, so it's, the text is not saying, however, that this young woman cannot work outside the home. It's not saying that, but it is saying that her, the, her, the sphere, that, that is the place where she is known. That the, the idea that Paul is saying here is when someone looks at you, young mom, and if they don't think in their mind, if they don't think in their heart, if they don't picture your home, that's a problem. Now, 
if you're divorced or you're widowed, uh, your choice is possibly been taken away from you, and I, we get that too. This isn't a, a law thing here, okay? We live under grace. But let me just tell you something. Just speaking of choice, I, I have slightly changed the verbiage here just so to protect the individual, but I texted this out just the other day to a friend when I wrote, in our culture, people choose the lifestyles they want to live. And in it, they create their own needs, which are really not needs at all. Rather, they're just a bunch of wants in a world that they've fallen in love with. So why the focus on the home? Look, I didn't write this. God did. Amen? Did I get, how many amens did I get out of there? I'll just talk to you, okay? <laughs> why the focus on the home? Because that is where your greatest glory and your greatest impact by design from above resides. Right there. And by the way, virtually every study, spiritual or secular, affirms this. Uh, there's a couple, and I won't name them, but I did, get, I did let them know I was going to talk about this. Someone we've been working with, highly educated Great jobs, made good money. Their lifestyle was not pretentious, but they clearly doing well. But they were struggling, struggling in their marriage, struggling in life. The burden was heavy. My wife and I loved them very, very dear, dearly. They're very dear to our hearts, and we began to encounter, we began to counsel, we began to talk with them. And through a series of circumstances, God would lead them to do what God would lead them to do which was for her to do, make a huge sacrifice to walk away from a, a stellar career that she'd paid megabucks for to come home and be a mom to her children. And it was a good decision. And with that, God was glorified. They, there is an adornment in all of this. Our homes, messed up and imperfect as they are, are meant to be a kind of billboard, a kind of marquee, a display to the beauty, the power, and the glory of God, and the gospel itself. And suffice it to say, if you're looking at the text, anything less than this reviles, did you see that there? It reviles or blasphemes. Blasphemeo, that's the Greek word. You are, they, they, people be, will speak against the word of God, the gospel of Jesus when it doesn't look like that, because the beauty is in the what? It's in the whole. Younger men, younger men, this is the next pedal, who are, who are mature in their service for Christ. I'm looking at verses six through eight. Basically, this is a clarion call to maturity. And how interesting it is that when he talks about these young men, he talks about them stepping up. He says, so that your opponent, he uses a word that's only used a handful of times. He, he calls that your adversaries an opponent. He's talking to young men because we love a good opponent, right? We love the competition. And so he calls them opponents. Young men love the pride of competition. And, and, and Paul's sort of cashing in on this. Uh, it, there's a book written by uh, Michael uh, Jigaliri, who, uh, it's called Over the Edge, it's Deaths in the Grand Canyon. Sounds like a morbid book, doesn't it? But it's, I mean, this is a harrowing book. 
He chronicles dozens and dozens and dozens of people of all ages who have died, and, and almost like 95% of them are totally unnecessary off the Grand Canyon, backing up, taking pictures, you know, doing this, doing some, some shenanigan. And in the book, he says the most, the, 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 by, by a long shot, the most people who die are young men exercising their bravado, their pride, goofing off, being cool, and the canyon is not forgiving. And neither is this world when you exercise your bravado, you don't act like a dignified man of God, a model for good, showing integrity, sound in your speech that can't be condemned. In the modern vernacular, this is saying to you that are young men, grow up, show up, hold up, and take up your role as a man. Be a man. Act like a man. Those are Paul's words, by the way, in 1 Corinthians. Act like a man. Be mature. That's the call to us. Because the beauty is in the what? It's in the whole. The last petal or category is servants. Some of your Bibles say slaves. That is the word, by the way. We don't have any slaves in our culture, so the word also means to serve. So we're talking about servants who are godly in their response to adversity. You might want to look at it again. You're to be submissive, well-pleasing, not argumentative. So if you serve somebody else in a job, you're not to be argumentative. You don't steal from them. You show all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God. What a beautiful expression. And what he's saying here, and all of us, this is really a word to everybody in the house of God. Everybody. We all face adversity, amen? We all face resistance, right? And what you have here is the final stroke of the brush, of the divine brush. God's final stroke on the canvas of your life and the life of this church here. When servants are serving in a Christ-honoring way amidst adversity, outsiders look and they say, there's something really cool about that, something beautiful, something attractive. This is what he means when he says that in all things we adorn, cosmeto, that's where that we get our word cosmetic. We, it's on display. There's something beautiful going on here because... The beauty is in the whole. The the question I would have for all of you is, are you even in this picture? Are you in the picture? The Bible doesn't use a petal of a flower as a metaphor for the church, but it does use, it it uses the word body. It uses the word for, uh, it it uses the word uh, house. Household of God. It uses the word bride. So let's think about house. Just picture a house for a moment. What's in a house? Are you in the house? Are you in the house of God? I mean, I know you're here physically, but are you here? Is your heart really here? Are you in? Are you outside? Gary Rosberg is a friend of uh, Lisa Johnson. She used to work for him. Lisa's our our manager, our office manager. And uh, Gary is an author and a, and a counselor, 
and America's Family Coaches. Some of you will be familiar with that individual. But Gary has a powerful testimony. He was studying in seminary. He came home one day, and his daughter had drawn a picture of the house, of the family. And he thought, oh, this is cool. He picked up the picture, and he wasn't in the picture. Everybody else was but him. And so he said to her, he said, where are you at? Where am I at, rather, to his daughter? And she said, well, you're at the library, Dad. And he said to me recently, he said, Pat, that experience changed my life and became the cornerstone for my ministry. And he thought, by the grace of God, never again, I will be in that picture. Some of you are outside the house of God. You're like the testimonies you heard in the baptismal. Flitting in, flitting out, going to church, checking off boxes, but you're not a Christian. You're not in the picture. Some of you may be in the house, but you're, kinda, you're trying to get a foot out just by the way you're living. Come back to God today. He wants, he wants his church, the whole, to be an adornment of the gospel, to be an adornment of his person, to be an adornment of his love. And if you're not wrapped in the adornment of God, then come to him. Remove your self-righteousness and put on the righteousness of Jesus. Believe that he died for you and rose again and you'll get in the house. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and I what? I knock. He's outside of your house trying to get in to bring you into his. Maybe today is the day for some of you to come in to the house of God. And we'd like you to be here. You say, well, I'm messed up. That's okay, because the beauty is really what? It's in the hole. Love to have you part of it. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time we could be together and worship you. Thank you for these baptisms. Thank you for Dylan and Whitney. What stories, what grace, what friends. And thank you for your word on the adornment of the church, the household of God. So many petals here, Lord, we could examine the petals, but we've looked at the whole. I ask in the name of your son Jesus that you would adorn this church for your glory, not for our glory, but for yours. And that you would touch the hearts of those in this room. There are many here that are visiting today, and there are outsiders looking in. They're here physically, but not spiritually. If that's you, dear friend, would you, would you recognize what God has done for you? what Jesus has done for you? Would you believe in your heart that he died for your sins that separate you from him? And would you believe that he rose from the dead to prove that he has victory over the grave? And from your heart, would you trust him? Would you believe in him? Would you receive him? So that we can see you in the picture because the beauty's in the whole. Dear God, these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.